Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Mary Hill Winery. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, hello. Hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, certified sommelier, um, diploma holder from the International Sommelier Guild, and a certified specialist of wine. Uh, So happy that you're joining me on Happy Hour Radio right here every Saturday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. on 570 KVI. And uh, my goodness, it's uh, August 1st. Here we are in, um, boy, the dog days of summer, and I hate to see... August go, but there's a lot of fun things happening. We've got the Auction of Washington Wines happening in two weeks. Um, that's out at Chateau Saint-Michel. They've got the Great Winemakers Picnic. They've got, of course, the Big Gala and all its benefits, uh, Children's Hospital. It's a great cause. And also the Washington State University Viticulture Center. And uh, so we're, you're, you're buying, tasting wine, uh, and really benefiting the wine industry, of course, and benefiting the lives of those uh, families that have uh, children stricken with, uh, you know, diseases and, and injuries and um, that can't afford to pay. So you're doing a great cause for the sh- uh, auction of Washington wines. I will be there with Coral Wines. I'll be pouring at the picnic and I'll be pouring um, at the reception. So uh, it is summer and uh, it's time for pink wine and uh, you got to try Coral Wines. CoralWines.com. That's me. And also that weekend we'll be at uh, Pike Place Market on uh, Friday, August 13th is Sunset Supper at the market. That's an amazing event. It's uh, right there in the market. We turned it into a big uh, food and wine and beer fest. Um, it's closed to the public, and except if you buy a ticket, then you get to come in. So check it out. It's uh, Sunset Supper at Pike Place Market, August 13th. And uh, right now, I have the pleasure of uh, chatting with an old friend of mine, a fellow advanced sommelier. It's Luke Wallers, who's a partner in Walden Selections. This is a, a distributing company started, and he does some importing. And uh, we have the pleasure of having the Beckhams from uh, Oregon. Shahala Mountains, they do great Pinot Noir, uh, great Rosé. And right now, I want to welcome Luke Wallers and Andrea Beckham. Welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks so much, Chris, for having Thanks, me back. Chris. Yeah, so good. So, Luke, let's uh, set the stage here. Um, Walden Selections is a big, booming, thriving enterprise, and you've got uh, just high-quality wines all the time. Um, let's talk about a little bit of Walden Selections, and then we'll move into the Beckham. Sure. Well, Walden Selections was uh, a brainchild of my wife and I. We just started this small company wanting to bring new, small, family-owned uh, and operated wineries into the market uh, that had never been in the market before. So we, uh, we found a, a winery first off um, through, through two friends, and they had actually recommended that uh, my wife and I reach out to, to the Beckhams. And so that's how we met, was through a good friend of mine in Chicago and another good friend of mine who has a wine shop in Portland. And they said, you, you're looking for someone to, to start off with? You'll, you'll never do better than uh, Beckhams because they're, they're the real deal and they've got some uh, amazing wine. So... That's amazing. That's I love met. it. That's awesome. And uh, you started the company a year ago, two years ago? At the beginning of uh, 2015. Oh, wow. Yeah. Here we go. So it's, it's, a, it's a new 
Sinusness Best crying and, baby. Uh, well, I need some attention. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on that. It's always fun to see the uh, enterprise and, and entrepreneurship uh, of uh, fellow sommeliers, of course. But um, I had Jen Strecker on last week, and he's got his uh, Jay, uh, Jay Strecker selections. <laughs> I was going to say Jay Walden. Jay Strecker selections. So it's great to see that uh, you know our, our world of wine expands uh, by the uh, efforts of unique individuals such as yourself. So um, we've got Andrea Beckham here. And Andrea, um, welcome to Happy Hour. And tell me about your role role in uh, about Beckham Wine? Well, Beckham Estate uh, is uh, my husband and I, Andrew Beckham, and we started this project in 2005. We um, purchased eight and a half acres on Parrot Mountain in Sherwood, Oregon, with the intention of building a ceramic studio. My oh. husband's a full-time high school art teacher, ceramics artist, and had his work in some galleries, was having some success, and we wanted to buy a little piece of property in the woods and build a studio. And a little piece, eight acres? <laughs> a little piece <laughs> in the middle of a 60-year-old Doug Furs. Um, beautiful piece and had no intention of starting um, to grow grapes. Or making wine. It wasn't even on the horizon. And uh, But you were drinking wine before that, right? We were, you were, we were enjoying Oregon. some beautiful Oregon wines. And uh, we, our neighbors just across the street had a two and a half acre vineyard, uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. They were in their early 80s, had 25, 30 year old Pinot, Pinot Noir wow. and Chardonnay vines. And Andrew went over and helped Fred prune his, prune his vineyard that year. Came home with the back end of the truck full of Pinot Noir cuttings and said, hey, honey, Let's plant a couple rows just for fun. Just for fun. Just for fun. Well, we can eat them. And a couple rows just for fun turned into clear cutting, um, about six <laughs> acres of trees. and Let the and sunlight in. Yes, yes. It, it was a whole new view. Yeah. Um, the land was a bit devastated, but next thing I know, he's renting some really big toys. Did you shout timber? Did he shout timber at all? He, I think so. <laughs> Several times. Big toys. So we. next thing I know, we have a... Uh, the Tonka trucks, huh? Two hundred, yeah, two hundred series track hoe D seven cat showing up on the property, and he is having a ball, just pulling all the stumps, getting the land prepared, starting vines in our living room. On oh, our, really? We we self rooted those first vines um, on our coffee table every night. I know some people start cutlings uh, cuttings in their basement. <laughs> we don't have a basement, so uh, uh, coffee table in the living room was... was and with what, a fluorescent light or a grow light or something? <laughs> Eventually they moved into the garage uh, on some heat mats. Perfect. Uh, halogen, the, halide, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Great. Got, uh, got the land prepared and started planting vines that spring. Uh, two and a half acres the first year. Interesting. So we talk about terroir and, and, and different soils for, for vines to grow. Did you start them in just a bed of rocks? You're just like, you know, you're going to suffer? Or did you give them, you know, the uh, fertile pot soil that you get at uh, yeah, Home Depot? Yeah, we, we had some some starting material. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is great. So uh, your role, Andrea, speaking with uh, Andrea Beckham, who is the marketing manager and uh, uh, gracious and patient wife of uh, Andrew Beckham, who is the winemaker of Beckham Estate Vineyard. And you're located in the Chehala Mountains. And uh, you talked about your eight-acre plot, and that is uh, in what close to what city, what town? Uh, we're right in between Sherwood and Newburgh. That- uh- do they call it the Sherwood Forest? Is that what you were cutting down? Oh, we were cutting down a bit of the Sherwood Forest, Super that's for funny. sure. <laughs> Is there a Robin Hood winery down there? 
They have a Robin Hood festival every year. Oh, they year. do? Yeah. Oh, you get to walk in those little elf shoes or whatever they were? Just happened. Our kids were in a float. Oh, fun. Oh, this is great. Well, you know, Oregon is, and Washington alike, they have these little towns and the, the, the little characters and uh, charisma and uh, the charm. And you've got these little events that have taken place for years, and it's always fun. Um, so you started this winery in 2005, right? And so... Um, did you take over that two and a half acre plot? Is Fred? Did Fred sell it to you as well, or no, no? Um, they were generous with their knowledge and their time and their enthusiasm. But we, once we started planting vines in two thousand five, um, we were really learning how to grow the fruit first. So went and volunteered time in other people's vineyards, working alongside their um, vineyard help to to learn everything that we could about growing growing vines in Oregon. Um, and then I would do as much reading and research as, as possible. We started with uh, three clones of Pinot Noir, Pomard, Vadensville, and Dijon 115, and two and a half acres the first year, an acre and a half the year after that. Made the first wines in 2009. Oh, really? So that's uh, four years, the fourth leaf, right? Mm-hmm. Five, six, seven, eight, no, fifth leaf, because you got a first, Yeah. Very interesting. Did you uh, practice? Did you use some fruit the first year just for fun? Did you make a uh, Pinot Port? Actually, um, Andrew, we sold the first um, crop of of fruit in 2007 and 2008 to another winery Uh in Dundee. And at that point, Andrew had literally hung every cluster of fruit by hand. He was meticulous in the in the vineyard and took the fruit into the um to the winery and got to stay for crush and that was it and said there's no way i'm doing all this work to give it away i want to learn to make wine wow so you you called up some yeast and said hey um can you come work for me (laughs) (laughs) to learn to make it so he volunteered with a couple of winemakers worked with a couple winemakers in 2007 8 and 9 interesting enough too because those were um we'll call challenging vintages for morgan i Mm -hmm. I know that some the spectator and some of the the big wine magazines uh, sort of you know painted a broad brush, broad stroke about some of the climate that took place and the vintage conditions. It uh, wasn't necessarily true because I think the sevens turned out to be really, really lovely wines, of course, in a different style. Um, and then you can start talking about nine, which is, is, is quite the other end of the spectrum because it was quite warm and um, for Washington as well. And, and I'm sure you get more ripeness and more sugar, and that provides a different style of wine. So you start... The challenge is coming out with your first wine, your first release. That is the vintage for Pinot Noir is very important because you've got this. I mean, are you your first impression? Is it lean and more elegant, like seven, or is it more robust and fuller? And or did you sort of practice your winemaking style? And we'll talk to Andrew about this. But coming out in '09, I mean, those were voluptuous wines, right? They were voluptuous wines, um, and because our focus is on the farming, we really want to stay true to our site. And the vintage. Oh, I see. I'm looking at this great uh, iPad you've got, and you're showing me pictures of the vineyard. I see one lone tree in that vineyard. Is it, I think there's three. Are there three? Cut down. Did you name them? Did you get? Did you, were you a tree whisperer? You said, "Don't cut me." <laughs> <laughs> so fun. And what are you cropping there? I mean, um, oh, I see a tent. You you do some dinners in the vineyard, huh? We do. We have one coming up in August. Oh, August that's a 15th. lovely view too. I see the 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 nice porch or the uh, patio there you've got. And Our little tasting room open every Friday and Saturday from eleven to five. Awesome. And um, so, uh, 
Luke, when you tasted mm. these wines, you met them, you tried the 09s first, or did you get a different vintage? No, actually, I, I have a, a bottle of 09 that uh, you very generously gave me, Andrea. Uh, I know it's one of your last few bottles, uh, but I think we tasted uh, beginning from the 11 vintage. Yes. And uh, we tasted 11, 12, 13, and uh, this was last year, so 14 in, in tank. Mm -hmm. And we noticed this, this incredible transformation of, uh, of the wine from one year to the next. We, 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 were, looking for we were looking for improvement. We were looking for um, quality uh, uh, changing over time. And of course, um, because... You mean the development of the wine, the in, of the in, wine the barrel? in barrel? And uh -huh. also uh, how, how the winemaker is, is, um, you know, is essentially uh, treating each of the different vintages because 10, 11, 12, 13, for all completely different vintages. So it's like seven so to nine, right? We're we're looking for a certain, you know, transformation of uh of the wine from one year to the next and, and to see the quality continue to rise um even with the different cooler vintages and warmer vintages back to back to back. That was impressive. Yeah, very impressive. Especially for a young winemaker to, to deal with some of the vintage conditions, you must have been sweating, right? Every vintage <laughs> shares something new. Every vintage presents its challenges and presents a new learning experience. Um, so there's there's never been a dull moment. I love between... that. You, you are in marketing because you spun that so well. <laughs> it sounds like this is a happy time. You know, well, we tr really try to work so hard in the vineyard um, throughout, throughout the whole growing season to bring in the best quality fruit we possibly can. Uh, to the winery, and that makes Andrew's job in the winery that much easier. Um, starting off with really fantastic fruit, and I, you know, I really appreciate that too because um, no one ever says, "Yeah, I just let it hang out there." And the one guy who did was uh, Epi from Black Blackwood Canyon or something, right? <laughs> he just well, left it. Everyone talks about you know. Bringing I think it's the best because fruit. he forgot about them. He forgot yeah. about them. <laughs> a little dementia there. Well, speaking with Andrea um, Beckham of Beckham Wines in uh, Shehalem, they're out of Oregon and uh, just between Sherwood and uh, Newburgh. Uh, um, you should check out their tasting room. It's open 11 to 5 uh, every day. Fridays, Saturdays, and I think we'll start Sundays. Oh, I love it. So you work all week, and then you work all weekend. Yes. Very fun. <laughs> um, and uh, th this is, uh, I want to say thanks to Luke for bringing in these great wines. And I assume they're great because you talked about uh, great care in the vineyard. And when we come back from this break, uh, we're going to talk with uh, the winemaker, the ceramics teacher, the art teacher. And I was just laughing, chuckling myself, because when I was in high school, we had ceramics class. We were making other things. <laughs> 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 Little amphora with two ends. But <laughs> uh, very cool. Um, so we've got uh, a rosé wine, a pinot noir, and two pinot noirs. I see the 12 and 13 vintage, so this will be very exciting. So uh, pour yourself a glass of wine, folks, and stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Kristen Ackerman with Sip Northwest and Cidercraft Magazine, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KBI. Only one station has Sean Hannity. Weekdays, 3 to 6 p.m. on Talk Radio 570 KBI. It's KBI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. 
All right, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. It's time for round two, so pour something delicious in that glass and join me. I've got three glasses in front of me, thanks to Luke Wallers of Walden Selections here in Seattle, an advanced sommelier. Started a distribution company, an import company, and uh, I have the pleasure of having the Beckhams from Oregon, Beckham Estate Vineyard, and uh, they're in from uh, Sherwood and Newburgh, right in the middle, eight-acre plot of Pinot Noir grapes, and uh, no more trees, or except three. I guess they clear-cut it all, but uh, it's good for the environment because uh, grapes actually produce more air than trees, I think. And uh, I want to welcome back Andrea and Andrew uh, to Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. So, Andrew, you are the winemaker, and uh, you got started in 2005. And you were you got some cuttings, which I think is really cool. Um, how do you start? I mean, so what part of the vine do you cut to, to, to start a new vine? We went into our neighbor's vineyard when the vines were dormant and took um, budwood um, from the vineyard. We cut... Um, the canes that were dormant at the time and uh, brought them back to our property in the back end of our pickup truck and and started cutting and dipping them in rooting hormone, putting them in peat and vermiculite to get them force-rooted uh, to plant that spring. Interesting. So the back of your pickup, you, I'm thinking you, you had how many sticks? We had thousands. Thousands? Thousands. A lot. Really? Yeah. So, and that's part of the natural process of, of the uh, life cycle of a vine. You have to prune them anyway, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we prune about 95% of the, the wood out of the canopy each year. Um, fruit comes on, on new wood each year. Yeah. So we have to make sure that we're removing um, removing wood to... to Interesting, because it's not like a tree, where a tree grows fruit from the same the same arms and the same branches, but a vine starts a new one each year. And it's quite interesting the way you, it's called vine training. And uh, do you guys use for vertical shoot positioning for Pinot Noirs or a different kind of uh, vine hanging training? We, no, we do indeed. We have our um, vineyard trellised in a VSP. Um, so we are able to control um, the fruit zone where the fruit's bearing. Uh, it gives us the ability to, to control um, our spray and application of fungicides and, and nutrition yeah, um, some elements there to, to to make sure the grapes are pristine. Now, I'm curious. You said you had a thousand vines. I mean, and then Andrea mentions you started this in your living living room. How did on you stick coffee a th- table. on the coffee? You have must have a huge coffee table. Mm, no, it must be no. like an air, aircraft carrier <laughs> or something. We'd we'd start with a you know a Rubbermaid box of dirt and then. Like a we bus a, tub. Yeah, bus yeah. tub full of dirt, and uh, eventually they moved moved out to the ground. Did you have to put light on? Because if you cut, if you have a dormant vine, did you just like, let it sit there and like, well, nothing's happening. What's the deal? Heat mats. Oh. They sat we actually want to keep the light off of them. Oh. We, we apply heat to the rooting zone uh, of the vine and, and keep the buds from pushing by keeping them oh, in a dark I environment. I see. Oh, interesting. Kind of like mushrooms, except yeah. no heat. Oh, so fun. So uh, you, you planted two and a half acres to beginning, acres and now sure. you've got how many? We have six and a half Topino planted now, an acre of young Riesling. And we were fortunate enough to be able to acquire some property to the east of us two years ago and have now planted about 12,000 new rootstock vines on the property. Pinot? Yes. Uh, no, rootstock that we'll be grafting to oh, our I see. fruiting varietal in the next three years. Oh, interesting. So is rootstock a different style of, of Vine or is, what is that? The the rootstock is uh, North American and it's phylloxera tolerant. I see. So part of our vineyard is on its own roots. Uh, we have the potential for phylloxera oh, infestation. Oh, because right? I see. So rootstock is American, so it's it's uh, anti phylloxera or phylloxera resistant. Phylloxera tolerant. Yeah. Phylloxera tolerant, right? Because yeah. phylloxera was a little root louse that originated in America, and then when Thomas Jefferson sabotaged the French, he took it over there. <laughs> 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 Europe. Uh, that's not real history. That's just my. 
my twist on it. Um, so when you are you a Riesling fan? We do enjoy Riesling, yes, and it has um, so many possibilities in terms of how it's made. We're very interested in exploring a, a dry and off dry and potentially a, a sweet wine, uh, depending on the vintage. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like the sweet wine idea because, you know, Washington is well known for Riesling, and I think Sam Michelle does a great job at it. And um, But I, I understand there's a lot of there's Riesling's difficult to sell, that the population hasn't necessarily said embraced it. It's like, what do I do with it? I, maybe you got to put it in a different style bottle just to sort of switch it up and call it, uh, you know, something else. Yeah, you know, and but we had the same problem with rosé. It had yeah, it, it had a negative image, and it's is that sweet? <laughs> exactly, and so part of the fun is education yeah. and having a tasting room where people come and there you have a, a, a rapt audience. I agree, and uh, getting them to try the wines and taking it back and then sharing with family and friends. Um, that's that's where we do our best work. And where did you two meet? Meet in high school? College? Park, Park City, Utah. Oh, ski bums? He was a yeah. ski bum. You look like a ski bum. You got that beard and the, that <laughs> smile, that grin. and like, yeah. Well, after finishing Lewis and Clark College with two completely useless majors in ceramics and history, I moved to Park City to ski and was fortunate <laughs> enough to meet my wife. Up and in the we, mountains. Really? Just up on the hill? Were you in a lift operator? Were you working in no, a... No, no. We met uh, on a rooftop keg party, 4th of July, both of us hanging on to kind of the chimney stack um, while everyone else was it's Literally on the, on the roof, on a pitched on a, roof? On a roof, yeah. How did the keg stay still? About what? <laughs> 16 or 17 years ago? Oh, so fun. <laughs> That's sweet. Um, I love it. Well, let's talk about uh, your wines. And you've got, uh, your first vintage was 2009. I'm looking at uh, this beautiful colored rosé. This is a, a, a vibrant pink. Um, Beckham Estate Vineyard 2014 Olivia's Pinot Noir rosé. And Olivia must be a child? She's our second or middle middle child. Yeah. yeah. Second daughter. Wonderful. So um, tell me about the winemaking process here. So the Olivia's rosé is a, a rosé made with intention. We take a block of pomard in our vineyard uh, that we designate to become rosé up front. And we don't crop thin to the same degree as we do for our Pinot Noir. Uh, we also pick that part of our vineyard about a week and a half to two weeks ahead of the rest of our site to preserve natural acidity in the wine. Um, it's fermented in neutral oak um, and in stainless steel. I do it in two lots. Part of it's destemmed and sits on the skins overnight to pick up some color and tannin. The other half is whole cluster pressed straight away. Um, and we, we put the two wines together when we get ready to, to bottle. How dark is that uh, skin contact wine? And is that done in stainless or in, in oak? Uh, both of the wines are fermented in, in neutral oak. Um, the white version is done in stainless steel, but we're, we're about 80% neutral oak, 20% stainless. Uh, and the, the color is quite similar to the color you see in the bottle now. Um, it's, it's lost maybe a couple shades of pigment. Um, Not 50? <laughs> uh, well, I just tasted it, and I, my first uh, impression is that it is bright and vibrant. That acidity is just delicious. It's mouth-watering acidity, and uh, there's a, a moderate complexity to the, uh, the the Pinot Noir flavors here. Um, definitely just, it, it's almost garnet flavor, if I could put it in my mind. It has those pink salmon tones. Um, it's that salmon berry and just a little bit of... Uh, just a touch of red currant. Can you get that brightness on there? Um, very pleasurable. I think the, the wine on the palate, I think that oak usage is great because it makes it soft. You've got the acid, but you've got this texture that is very inviting. And um, how long do you ferment this in, in oak? 
Uh, it's typically in oak for around five to six weeks. Fermentation takes four to five weeks, and we, we let things settle out after finishing primary. Um, and then I start moving things from barrel to tank to consolidate. Mm -hmm. And when you said you pick it early, um, typically for Pinot Noir, we're looking at, uh, obviously, we all talk about phenolic ripeness, and that's important, but there's also association of sugar there. And when you think of ripe grapes for Pinot Noir, for, um, what do you, what's the sugar level typically that you find that phenolic ripeness achieves? With our uh, Pinot Noirs, we, we try to pick stuff at between 22 and 24 bricks. Mm. Um, with the rosé, we're targeting a, a much lower alcohol, and we would ideally be bringing um, that fruit in at, at 22 or, or 23. Yeah. Yeah. And so what did you hang for? You said you had one one block, and did you hang uh, three tons an acre? Or? For the rosé project, we we hang about two and three quarters to three tons per acre, yeah. depending on vintage. And the clusters are, are just nominal hand size, right? They're not big, huge, you know, bear claws. Or yeah, anything. no, they're, they're pinot clusters. They're small and compact. And yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So do you harvest that? People talk about harvesting at night. Is that something you do based on the vintage? or We harvest our site usually really early in the morning. Uh -huh. um, we have people start before the sun comes up, and we try to get the fruit to the winery um, while it's still cool and, and is going to process well. Interesting. And so when you said you do a whole cluster press, how much color comes out of that? Because uh, I made a rosé, and we did a whole cluster press. We did, we you know, we crushed it, and I, we put it in the in the vat, and... That was the time we had for for coloration. Uh, with with our whole cluster pressing in the fourteen vintage, we picked up just a little bit of color. Um, Andrea got in the bins and and treaded on the fruit, and we <laughs> let it we let it sit for about two hours or or maybe three hours before we pressed. Uh -huh. So just just a, a tiny bit of color yeah. in the juice. Interesting. And so um, for rosés, obviously the flavor comes from the skins and also the grape because you've got this this interesting nuance of, of the the juice, the clear juice, which is uh, almost flavorless, right? I mean, it's just just moderate, just just a slight, but the skin contact is what gives you this brightness and, and the color, of course. Yeah, correct. I love it. Well, when we come back from this break, we're gonna, I'm going to taste this rosé, and then we got two wonderful reds and a very special surprise. It's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime kind of wine. It's called Amphora. And so uh, I want you to pour something great. We come back for, for segment three, round three, that is, and uh, stick around on Happy Hour Radio. If you have any questions, send us an email to ask at happyhourradio.com. And, of course, if you're on the Twitter sphere, you guys got a Twitter? handle at Beckham Pino at Beckham Pino I love it and Beckham's a great name because we all know you guys had a movie made right <laughs> <laughs> anyway we'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio so pour yourself a glass and uh, stick around thank you Hi, I'm Lenny Rene with Eskin Wine Spirits, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KVI. A look at the world from a Northwest perspective. Lars Larson, live, weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI, want to know weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, time for round three. Hope you got something great in your glass, because I do. I do. I've got some Beckham Estate Vineyard Rosé, and it's absolutely delicious. Uh, the light, light, love the bright acidity and uh, just the moderate nuance of that Pinot Noir flavor. It's got some complexity on the finish, and it finishes dry. 
um, a great rosé. It's screw top, and it's uh, uh, when you talk about Pinot Noir, you're really cropping low, so you have a lot less yield for your acre of grapes, and so therefore the price tends to be a little higher because Pinot Noir is a very delicate grape. It takes a lot of uh, TLC and care. Um, it's not quite as hardy like Cabernet. You can just let let it go, or some of those other varieties. And Pinot Noir is is really a pretty grape, and uh, this one retails for about twenty one bucks. And the screw top, which I, I always appreciate because you can uh, chill it and swill it, and that's you know, when it's summertime. What are you waiting for? We don't need to, to age it at all. But I'm sure with this bright acidity and the complexity, it will age for a couple of years and, and still be um, somewhat fresh wine and very interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that right, Luke? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So um, 21 bucks for the rosé, but now I've got uh, 2013 Pinot Noir, and I see you poured the 2012 as well. So we're going to start with the 2013, uh, which was a warm vintage, and 2012 was probably the classic average style vintage, or were there some challenges there? Well, you, you want to speak to that? 2012 was a very ripe vintage. It was lush and well. plush, uh-huh. and it produced a very voluptuous, big-bodied wine. The 2013 vintage um, was really on rails until we got to the last week before we were getting ready to pick, and we got washed out by monsoons. So most producers in the Malama really? Valley picked before and after the rains and oh, yeah. and thus produced different, different styles of wine pre- and post-rain. Interesting. I yeah. remember that now as uh, you go back to some, you know, to track the vintages around the world, it takes a little time to keep up because you're, you're learning you're in that year, but then you don't get the wine, so you don't think about it back then. Uh, well, let's talk about this 2013 Pinot Noir. It says uh, so- Sophia's Pinot Noir. So we have Olivia's Rosé and Sophia's Pinot Noir uh, from Shalem Mountains. And uh, 2013 vintage, so a little bit challenging, but uh, I'm going to take a taste and tell me uh, what uh, your winemaking style is here. Yeah, so the, the Sophia's Pinot Noir is made with one of the four Pinot Noir clones we grow on our site. We grow Pomard, Vadensville, 777, and 115. And the Sophia's is a 115 single clonal bottling. Um, it's the first cuvee that we release of the three wines each year. It tends to be very red fruit, fruit driven. Uh, is, that the nat- is that the nature of the, the 115 clone? Interesting. So um, it's got bright acidity, which I expect from most Pinot Noirs. California doesn't quite get that that much acid. Um, but Oregon is known for great acidity in the Pinot Noirs, which is the backbone. Gives you a great structure. The tannin here... I have some oak nuance on this on this fruit, um, and it, I don't get the the astringency from from some Pinots. Some Burgundy is known for astringent tannin, um, but this is, has a softness and a, and a very lithe quality about it. Um, and the, the oak texture here, the the nuance of flavor is um, sort of a, a burnt sugar on it. It's very toffee driven for me. What's what's the oak regimen here? Uh, we we use about forty percent new oak um, in our estate bottlings. However, we're trending towards um, using less and less new oak each year. Uh, the cooperages that we're using in in this wine uh, include Hermitage, um, Caduce, and Mercure. Interesting with the with the euro sort of uh, floundering against the dollar. Are you stocking up? Oh, this is a good year to buy barrels. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I remember the days when people were talking sixteen hundred bucks, and that's a lot of investment. That's why, you know, the Pinot Noir with the the, the low yields and uh, the, the great oak producers here, um, you put a lot of pract- uh, patience and and um, well uh, thoughtfulness in your wines, and that's why they they tend to be um, on the higher end of the uh, price spectrum, um, but certainly a great value because there's a lot of enjoyment in Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir definitely lingers. And, and Luke, tell me, mm. um, when you tasted the wines, what was your impression of, of their style? 
Well, if we're speaking just to these two wines, I think there's a, there's a really distinct uh, um, difference between the two in terms of characteristics. Um, the, the, the style in, of the wines are, it's always a very, there's a very pretty fruit, there's a very um, lush fruit, but it's, it's always, um, it's restrained. And I think you see that in the, in the 2013, it's a very pretty floral, um, again, as Andrew mentioned, red fruit, red fruit characteristic. Uh, moving to the 12, it's a little bit more of a, a darker, almost a darker, blacker fruit, black cherry, black raspberry blackberry cool so um there's a distinction between the wines and i think uh, but there's also a similarity that continues and they're just they're very elegant wines very polished and even a little color difference here i see the mm. the 12 is has a little more richness in the color it's more of a, a darker ruby whereas the 13 has more of a garnet color um, which is a little bit lighter than the ruby so did you harvest before the rains or did you harvest during the rain or after the rain for the 13 vintage we did it in two picks. So half of our site came in before the rains, the other half after. Uh, the Sophia's Pinot Noir was picked before the monsoons. And from a winemaker's perspective, when you tasted those grapes pre and post, um, what was the the difference in having a, a rain, sort of a late soaking? I know it, it sort of t- will typically plump up the berry a little bit. Was there much dilution in that flavor? Uh, no. In fact, I think that what those who hung fruit after after the rains ended were able to pick up a little more nuance and character uh, in the flavor development. Um, and uh, again, you said, what vineyard is this? This is on your... The, this you, is all Beckham Estate. All Beckham Estate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and you said it's a 115? The 115, correct. Uh, very cool. And uh, this the 2013 Beckham Estate runs about 38 bucks uh, on the shelf, and you, you've, you're well distributed here in the Seattle and Puget Sound region? Yes. Excellent. So the next wine here, let's try the 12. So I'm excited about this because you said 12 was a riper vintage, but, you know, we kind of judge vintages in Seattle by the weather. <laughs> and 12 was okay, but 13 was great. So to hear that it rained down in McMin- or, sorry, in Newburgh, Oregon, and all of, most of Willamette Valley, um, it's just sort of a disconnect for me. But uh, that's what makes uh, you know the world of wine interesting because what the weather is here is different down there. So 2012 uh, Estate Pinot Noir. So this must be a blend of all your, your lots. Correct. It's a great representation of our whole site. We've got all four clones that we grow represented in this wine. Uh, yields were quite low in 2012. We had some rain right at bloom um, that caused us to to wind up cropping at about 1.4 tons per acre on our site. So it produced a pretty intense, oh, wow. pretty intense fruit. Yeah, I just tasted it, and it's definitely got more punch to the that fruit flavor, whereas the 13s tended to be a little more restrained, as Luke mentioned. Um, the oak regimen seems very familiar, very similar to that. Uh, did you have more... Uh, uh, what do you call it? Jack contact or, or stem contact here? Because I think the tannin has a little more. Uh, it's a little more robust. Actually, both of these wines were fully distemmed. Um, didn't really see many jacks in the in the bin. Um, we started using more whole cluster treatment in the the thirteen vintage, but neither of these wines had any whole cluster treatment. Mm. Well, I'm tasting this, Luke, and you can talk about um, obviously darker fruit. I think the black raspberry mm. note and uh, some of that black cherry and. Uh, boysenberry, they're sort of a green boysenberry, not even green, but just an underripe boysenberry. Acid is is very pleasant, and this this wine lingers on the palate. It's got a great finish. Um, you certainly get the the oak notes here, some of that uh, toffee. It's not quite as prevalent in the uh, 12 as it is in the 13th, and I think the uh, um, well, this wine is just delicious. And the 2012 runs, uh, wow, 30 bucks. Okay, that's a great that's a great price for Pinot Noir. So, Luke, um, we have this next wine, and this is really important. Uh, talk about amphora. Mm. Where did this this wine style come from? 
Well, amphora is an interesting topic because amphora uh, is an ancient, um, ancient you know, a vessel uh, given many names. And in Spain, it's called Tanaya, Other places, different names. But uh, this essentially originated in in Georgia, in the in the Middle East, um, to to store food, to store beverages, ancient ancient beverages, uh, including wine. And so it's really seeing an, a revival right now. So it's basically terracotta. It's terracotta clay jars uh, used to used to uh, either ferment or and or age wine. Um, so Andrew, given his pottery background, background has uh, is really um, one of a kind because he's making these vessels and now fermenting and aging the wines in it's very cool that is really neat because when and how long do you age this is this sort of a two-year oak regimen or a one and a half or I mean we call it oak regimen because we typically ferment in barrels but for for uh, terracotta how, how long do you do you ferment store oh, we're in the terracotta vessel for between seven and nine months depending on the wine we're making there's a lot more oxygen contact in the terracotta ah, they're so incredibly porous right. there's a huge potential for oxygen and gas exchange so these wines are going to bottle much earlier than our conventionally made wines Do you put a lid on it they are sealed and lidded correct okay yes um, well i'm tasting the wine it's it's an exotic wine it, it it's a pinot gris first of all and you get this beautiful color um like we had last week um and this wine is is it has a sense of voluptuousness to it. There's this texture. Um, it's it's just very interesting and yet delicious at the same time. Um, so you shouldn't be afraid of something that says amphora, especially if it comes from A.D. Beckham. What does A.D. stand for? Andrew Dow. Those are my initials. Ah, yes. Okay. And I see that you have the amphora right on the label there. It's, uh, it's very subtle um, but delicious. And this wine is 39 bucks. So the clay, you don't get the clay pot with you, right? You gotta, you can use it over and over. <laughs> they are usable indefinitely. Um, awesome. Yes. Well, let's talk about your website, uh, BeckhamEstateVineyard.com, and your Twitter handle is at BeckhamPino.com. At BeckhamPino. So I'll be following you, and uh, well, at BeckhamPino. This is Twitter. And Luke Waller, so thanks so much for, thank you for so much. Um, introducing the Beckhams to me, and Andrea and Andrew. Thank you so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. Well, I hope you had a good time on the show because the, the Beckhams got some great wine. You can check them out in Seattle, all over the place. And coming up next is our reality radio segment. It's a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. So stick around for segment four and pour yourself another round. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. I'm Chef Jeremy McLaughlin with Salty Seafood Grills, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KBF. A look at the world from a Northwest perspective. Lars Larson, live, weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, last call on Happy Hour Radio. This is segment four, and it's time for our reality radio segment. It's uh, a day in the life of Mary Hill Winery. We talked to Craig Luthold last week, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Craig again today. And uh, Craig, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Thanks so much, Christopher. Great to be back. Hey, and um, so we were talking last week about the weather and the temperatures and, and how challenging that can be. But uh, let's talk about the fun stuff. Let's talk about what's happening down at Mary Hill. What can we be excited about for their tastings and uh, events and things? Well, you know, we're open 10 to 6 daily, and we have two tasting rooms here. We actually have the one that's open to the general public, 
that uh, we have uh, about a dozen wines that uh, we pour on any given day. And we also have our reserve room where we have some really special wines, uh, primarily that are available for our uh, wine club members. And um, also you can pay to get into that room. But, uh, you know, we we are now bottling 60 different wines here at Mary Hill. And so we really are a showcase of all the diversity that Washington has to offer us. That's amazing. 60 different wines. And, you know, really, that that's a, a great selling point because if you really want to learn about Washington wine, and what's cool is that it's one winemaker who has, you know, so everything is, is the same from his philosophy. It's not having a different bunch of different winemakers. So you get a, a chance to taste the terroir, the expressions of the grape, the characteristics, and like that. And I imagine this reserve room, are you pouring some of those uh, 14 double gold award winners from the Seattle Wine Awards? We are. There's a bunch of those in there. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were so uh, pleased with uh, with the results there. And I say this to everybody I talk to. It really is a testament for the quality of the fruit being grown in uh, Columbia Valley. Uh, our growers are just doing an amazing job, and Washington's getting the kind of recognition that we have felt for years that it really deserves. And our winemaker, Richard, is just an amazing talent. He does a fantastic job of taking good care of those grapes and letting them express all the wonderfulness that the growers provide us. That's uh, so fun. And I, I would imagine Richard has a twin brother because doing 60 wines, uh, that takes a lot of time and a lot of, um, well, patience and uh, commitment and dedication to quality. Absolutely. True story there. Yeah. So um, are you doing some events down there? And first of all, is there a hotel close to Mary Hill that we can invite our listeners to, to stay at so that it, it becomes something of a, a two-day trip instead of just one? Absolutely. You know, we've got uh, quite a few hotels uh Shiloh Inn and a Comfort Inn and Best Western in the Dalles and um, great lodging there, nice restaurants to attend. A little further away is Hood River, which is a great little town. Oh, yeah. It's really famous for its uh, windsurfing and, and lots of great pubs and rest, restaurants and bars to attend to. So, um, you know, the Gorge has so much to offer, and you got whitewater rafting up on the White Salmon River and hiking all yeah, around so here. So take a week. Fabulous place to spend a weekend. Yeah, I love it. Yep. Well, exciting. Yep. And um, I understand that you have a new project. Uh, it's about music. Uh, what's going on? You know, uh, last year um, we had the idea to take the amazing talent that we provide free um, on our terrace. We have musicians come in every Saturday and Sunday, starting in the middle of May and, and going through the first part of October. It's complimentary music that we just let people listen to. And, you know, I'm just blown away by the talent of, of the people that come out here and play. We we pay them, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, to come out here and play. And we decided last year that we were actually going to put together a CD of all of this amazing talent and offer it for sale in our tasting room. And the proceeds um, would go to Sweet Relief, which is a charity for artists and musicians that are facing financial difficulty. Wow, that's that's amazing. And um, tell me how many artists are on this CD. We have, I believe, 15 different artists on one CD and 16 on the other. Oh, so you have two for uh, for sale to help uh, these uh, ailing musicians. Exactly. One one that we uh, was from the two th- 2013 season of musicians, and then um, we put that together during the winter, released it in the spring of, of uh, 2014, and then we did the same thing this year, and we released it uh, just a few months ago. 
Awesome. Uh, and has it been received well by the public? Everybody loves it. it you know, it's, what's so cool about it is it's just an amazing amalgamation because it's one song for e- from each one of these artists. And so you get this tr- tremendous diversity of all uh, of these uh, musicians from around the Pacific Northwest because you know they come from Portland and Seattle and Tri Cities and Yakima and as far away as Spokane and you know, we've had a few people that were traveling through that just did a one-off and played here. And so it, it's fun to see uh, how many different people come here. And on top of it, to, to listen to a CD with the diversity that it has is great. And the CD is called what again? Um, it just called um, Music of Mary Hill. I love it. Uh, speaking with Craig Luthold, uh, co-owner of Mary Hill Winery, and uh, you got to check out that CD. So, Craig, thanks so much. I'll chat with uh, maybe you, Vicky, or Richard next week. Sounds wonderful. Thanks so much, Christopher. Have a, have a great week. Thank you very much. Uh, that's it. We had a great show, and I uh, invite you to check out our website, happyhourradio.net. And remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.